Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. First, though, Fran Berry alongside me, a race that you were lucky enough to ride in yourself, Fran. It must have been some experience. Oh, Nick, it's a magical uh, race. I rode uh, Tundra Blue a couple of years ago. I've been in Japan for a long time, but that's the peak. Uh, the Japan Cup, we'll see the scenes prior to the race. The standard of horse over there now is unbelievable, and uh, it's just a real pleasure to be there, a privilege, really. And we've had these these three re real household names over the last couple of years in Japan. Armand Dai, who won the race last year. Contrail, who was the runner-up in the race last year. We've just seen Euphoria put herself in the mix to be a very good horse over the next few years. And, of course, Gran Allegria, who retired last week. That's right, and the form is working out very well. Gran Allegria, champion in her own right, retired. She's by deep, deep Impact as well. Contrail is by Deep Impact. Euphoria, she could be anything next year as a two-year-old. And we had a very impressive two-year-old winner this morning, also by Deep Impact. Well, Contrail went off the favourite for this year's Japan Cup. Uh, there was European interest in the shape of the two-part Japanese-owned uh, Bally Doyle horses, Broom and the appropriately named Japan. This is how things panned out. They're ready and they're racing in the Japan Cup for 2021. Lord My Way, slow out the back door. Sunray Pocket, Shadow Diva Show, early speed. And coming over from a wide gate, going on quickly. Uh, kicking up on the inside, Shadow Diva. And going on now is Aristotle. He's going a bit of the front and kicking up and hanging badly into the first corner there was Grand, uh, Aristotle. Now settles quickly as they go into that first corner and leads comfortably now. Aristotle holds out the lead. Has a bit of a narrow lead from Wagnerian. Shadow Diva runs third. Then followed by Sharia. Authority is now up a little handier. Sunray Pocket is next. Then a gap back to Uber Laban, midfield. Then comes the favorite Contrail, Grand Glory. She's on his inside. Got a bit of a check there. Then comes Windjammer, uh, followed by the two visitors in on the inside, Japan on the outside, Broom. Then Lord My Way, well back in the run at the moment. Makahiki Kiseki's taking off. Yukon smiles back with Mozu Bello, and Muito Obrigado is the last one. Well, a bit happening here as one sweeping around the outside in Kiseki. Normally likes to lead, went back, and now is going forward midfield. It's Aristotle. He has a look over to his right to see what's coming on. And wider out, Nuti Wada decides Kiseki's going to take the long way home. And Kiseki, five off the rail, will take the lead into that next corner. Leads out from Aristotle. He's past the 1,000. Running on the inside, Shadow Diva. Creeping a little bit closer is Wagnerian. In behind them as well. This one's kicked away by five, followed by Sunray Pocket. Then a back to Contrail. Shariar has lost a bit of ground there, back through the field. Now picking up a little bit, going past Sunray Pocket. Then a gap to Uber Lehman on the inside, Grand Glory. Out wider now, Broom is coming into contention. Back on the rail is Japan. Uber Lehman's well back, Lord My Way, Mozu Bello, and work to do well back the rest of the field. As they get to the 400 meter pole, Kiseki, he's been here before, but here comes Authority. Authority laying down the law and running on his contrail, and Shariar is at the race for the ages, the one we were scripting for. Yes, it is. It's Authority joined by Contrail. Contrail, Contrail, is he gonna go out a window? Contrail hits the front from Authority. They're running into third is Shariar. Goodbye, son, well done. Contrail wins the Japan Cup. He's off to the breeding barn, wins it from Authority and Shariar. Well, the one, two, three, as we expected, they were there, Uberleven flew home, not too far away, back on the inside, Grand Glory. What a great run, he's made it to the top six, I believe. 
in a little wider that was Japan followed by Windjammer Aristotle in hand in the end and hitting the line really hard a Japan Cup winning finale for last year's Triple Crown hero Contrail Franberry alongside me that was just a, a performance of of real quality and no pun intended real authority over authority in second it was great to see Nick and uh, given he won the triple crown last year you think he was shipped off to stud didn't the captain and train as a four-year-old he's beat twice going to the Japan Cup here this morning but he was eight kilos lighter mm. than when he was beaten the last day and he was primed and he was at, at his absolute peak here today he was just so good brilliant bit of target training unbelievable and just seen the weights the difference in you know group one beating the tennis show autumn eight kilos lighter a month later Peaked. It was a really good train performance, and uh, Yuichi Fukunaga, very cool, and there was a lot of pressure on him there today, and I thought he just put him in a perfect spot throughout, followed Christophe Lemaire through on authority, ran a superb race back in second. Yuichi Fukunaga wreaking his revenge on Christophe Lemaire, who had beaten him aboard Almondi last year. Last year it was Almondi 1, Contrail 2. This year it's Contrail 1, Authority 2. Christophe Lemaire has been an integral part of those races, as he has so many of the big races in Japan over recent seasons, and he joins me on the line now. Hi there, Christophe. Uh, konnichiwa, everybody. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's about as far as my Japanese goes. I know you're brilliant. Um, but uh, how did it feel to be to be a part of this special race again, and and for your horse authority to to go down fighting behind a real champion? Uh, but you know, to be part of the Japan Cup is always a big thrill. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have the the full crowd uh, today because of coronavirus. But there was around uh, ten thousand people on the race course, so it's already uh, very nice. And uh, as you know. The Japan Cup is an international race. Um, it, it is uh, viewed all around the world. And the winner of the Japan Cup is always a good horse. So uh, once again, uh, I was happy to, to be on board authority. Uh, I, to be honest, I didn't have the same pressure than when I rode uh, Almondai. But uh, I was quite confident, and uh, the second place behind Contrail is, uh, is a top, top performance, and I'm very happy with the horse today. Was there ever any moment where you actually thought you would win the race? Yes, I, I thought I could win, uh, because when I asked uh, authority to, to make the move, he responded very well. Uh, he had a, a good reaction. I know he's... Um, it's kind of a, a long stride horse who, who needs uh, time, you know, to, to, to pace up. So uh, down the stretch, when he starts to, to stretch himself, uh, I felt he was uh, well balanced and he was responding, reacted very, reacting very well. So I thought uh, I could win because I knew as well that he had a lot of stamina. Uh, he's a horse who ran uh, over 3,000 meters. And last time he won 2,500, so I knew he could uh, keep going on uh, very far. Um, but uh, at the end, uh, we saw that Contrail was, uh, was a better horse than uh, Authority and the others. And Contrail uh, won with his class uh, at the end. Christophe, do you think that Contrail was a better horse this year? than he was when he finished second to you on Almond Eye last year? No, I think uh, last year his performance was very good. Uh, it, it just means how good was Almond Eye. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Contrail this year, he finished uh, second in the Teno Show in a very high-level race, uh, beating Grand Ligria, who won last week uh, the, the Mile Championship. Uh, the thing is, uh, uh, maybe we, we get we get little bit uh, tougher. I think um, he was looking brilliant uh, today. His trainer made a great job to to bring the horse at his uh, top for his last run. And uh, to be honest, uh, as a triple crown horse, he really deserved uh, this victory in the Japan Cup uh, because. Um, because, you know, we like to see the, the good horses win. And uh, today it was really his race uh, in terms of uh, quality of the race. 
he was the better horse. He won. This is a perfect ending. Christoph, um, Contrail's career is now is now over. He'll go to stud. He'll be a really important stallion for for Japan. You have ridden what could be the future today in the shape of a, a two-year-old called With Grace. We're going to watch this now. I mean, this to my eye looks absolutely spectacular. How did it feel? <laughs> yes, yeah, spectacular. Um, how does it feel? Uh, it's quite difficult because you know she she's kind of a. Uh, leggy, leggy feely. Uh, she's got a big stride, and you don't feel really the the speed uh, you go. So uh, I was very surprised when I watched the clock uh, after the race uh, between the two-year-old record. Um, but um, she's very elegant when when she she runs. Uh, she's. Uh, quite uh, light so she's like a ballerina you know um, and uh, on this uh, firm ground uh, she she responded very well um, to be honest I, I was surprised to, to win by so far but uh, she, she has a very good pedigree as you can see and uh, hopefully uh, next year in the classic uh, a race like the the Oaks should suit her, and uh, hopefully she will do uh, great performances again. Uh, it was a great day at Newbury yesterday. It was a great weekend, as it was at Newcastle. How they managed to run the fighting fifth, I don't know, but they certainly got a wonderful result with a dead heat between Epatante and Not So Sleepy. Here at Newbury was Cloudy Glen and great human stories. The late Trevor Hemmings, another success in this famous race for him. Venetia Williams pulling a real rabbit out of the hat and her loyalty over the years to Charlie Deutsch, well and truly rewarded with a swashbuckling ride. Cornelius Lyser alongside me to look back on all of it. Good stories all round. It was. I, I thought it was. It was just a, a, a fabulous day to be a big admirer of national hunt racing. Um, and uh, to use an expression some of my friends from Merseyside use, uh, I was made up uh, for for two sections of racing which have been a little bit on the back foot. One. British jumping, uh, obviously Cheltenham Festival, the Grand National, the Betfair Chase, all those prizes going to Ireland. Nothing wrong uh, with uh, with Irish racing, clearly, and uh, I've got nothing against Irish racing, but good for British racing to actually have a uh, a clean sweep and or practically a clean sweep in one of the most prestigious races of the season. And I was made up as well for. Uh, jumping on the Northern Circuit because a good result in the rehearsal chase with I Wright at mm -hmm. Newcastle. Admittedly, the the fighting fifth went south, but a really good result for Ahoy uh, Senor as well at Newbury. And in many ways, uh, obviously, the Labricks Trophy was the, the main talking point uh, after Newbury, but there were plenty of talking points and Ahoy Senor was right up there, a really, really exciting prospect. And normally uh, we expect those type of really exciting prospects that come sailing up the straight in imperious style at Newbury to be trained by Mr Henderson or Mr Nichols or Mr Mullins, Mr Elliott or Mr De Bromhead. Mm. But it was uh, Lucinda Russell on this occasion with Peter Scudamore. And that was uh, not one of the, well, obviously won a lot of good races, but not exactly the usual suspect. So a, a really fine result for them. So I'm made up uh, for <laughs> British racing and I'm made up for jump racing on the northern circuit as well. And uh, yeah, that's a good expression that my friends in Merseyside use. Our Cornelius is uh, is made up and we are going to have a look back at the Ladbrokes Trophy and the victory of Cloudy Glen. And it was the two horses in the Trevor Hemming silks that really carved out the running. And it was a wonderful sight, really. If you were a follower of what he brought to the game, which was the sort of old-fashioned, late-developing staying chaser, how he would have loved to see both sets of his colours bowling along in front there. Last year's winner, Cloth Cap, and this year's winner, Cloudy Glen. And two days after his memor the memorial service uh, uh, marking um, his life. So it was, it was an extraordinary story, really, to, to see them up there. Uh, cloth cap on the inside of the eventual winner, uh, Cloudy Glen. Uh, but keep an eye on the horse racing in third place at this stage, uh, remastered in the brocade colours, uh, because that's clearly uh, going to have uh, going to be playing a part in the drama. Uh, then we've got the hollow ginge, and then keep an eye too on Fiddler on the roof. This fence. Uh, that uh, they're coming on towards uh, now. This is the fourth last. This is where Remastered falls. Fiddler on the Roof has to shimmy round him. 
Yeah, and there is a suggestion, you know, I, I suppose if you were uh, trying to find a reason that this horse uh, was beaten half a length in the end, Fiddler on the Roof, conceding eight pounds to the winner, then that's going to enter your thinking. I didn't think it really played a, a, a massive. It was, it was written in the stars. It seemed that, that this horse was going to hold on through those closing stages. But Fiddler and Brendan Powell, and I was just thinking at this stage, you know, whichever horse we're talking about here is going to win this, and it's going to be one of the front two, uh, barring uh, accidents. Two fabulous stories because we've got the, the Trevor Hemming story, Venetia Williams sticking with Charlie Deutsch and uh, uh, Cloudy Glenn, a 33 to 1 shot. And then Brendan Powell, who, like Charlie Deutsch, has had a few bumps in the road uh, but has been supported by the Tizards, who are really resurgent this season. One or other is going to win. And uh, uh, as a big supporter of Fiddler, I thought he was going to get there. And then in those final strides, he was never quite going to manage it. And look at the gap back to Willie Mullins in third and fourth there. A massive gap back. Uh, so it was, a, it was a really heartwarming story. The fact is, the Hemmings Memorial Service, Trevor Hemmings, uh, the, the, one of the greatest supporters of, uh, of jump racing, both as an owner and a breeder. Yeah, he bred this uh, horse in this, as well, yeah. bred this horse. Uh, Cloudings, uh, his, uh, his, the, the horse's dad, has been such a successful stallion. Uh, Venetia Williams going really strongly uh, at the moment. Uh, Charlie Deutsch, uh, a, a good story as well. So all in all, it was just really, it was really lovely, wasn't it? You know, as you pointed out on Racing TV yesterday afternoon, she won this race when it was the Hennessy Gold mm. Cup with Teton Mill that went on to uh, uh, great, um, truly great things. This horse is not going to be winning a King George, one doesn't imagine, uh, but is going to go up in the weights. And wouldn't you imagine that it might be aimed at the, the Grand National uh, in the spring, probably off a racing now? What will he go up? Six or eight pounds for, for the win? Mm, uh, the they were 28 clear of the third. Yeah, it was a, yeah. So what, what are you going to, what would you put them up? Would you put eight, do you think? I, I guess so. I mean, I, so, I and, and one five, so basically my point, let's say he goes to 158, then he's a, he, and he's a character, isn't he? He's not guaranteed. You mean 148, I don't think he's going to go up 18. Oh, right, sorry. Yeah. Uh, sorry, one, well, yeah, you're absolutely right. 140 to 148. But he, he'll be a contender for the, oh, for, uh, sure. for the national. And he's a bit of a character. Uh, and he's the sort of horse that might just go and um, cause another uh, really nice story, certainly in the build-up to the race, if not in the uh, in the race itself yeah sorry 140 to 148 uh, I don't want to give Venetia complete heart flutters on a Sunday morning I mean I did feel for David Pipe and, and his team he, and he wanted more rain for remastered yeah. the way he the way he ran I mean he surely would have been involved at the finish and um, Fergus Gillard hadn't gone for everything and that was a, a potentially a massive moment in, in in his career as well and the the pipe team things just aren't really happening at the moment are they in the way that we know they they can happen for the pipe team but they got a good um, one there they've, they? they've, they've got a good okay one and clearly as long as uh, that is all um, going to be all right then um, really looking forward to uh, seeing um, remastered uh, in in action in the not too distant future. Uh, others that um, uh, the other one to definitely mention is on the ropes in the Cheveley Park uh, stud colours. Uh, jumping just wasn't brilliant to start off with. Got a little bit behind and then was creeping into the race, but wasn't able to uh, get in a, a blow at a crucial point of the race. But it it was just mm. I thought it was just a really it was just a really lovely story that people can talk about. Big crowd at Newbury yesterday, plenty of people who don't go racing every single Saturday. Uh, they could get the whole poignancy of Hemmings. They could, uh, Venetia Williams is a very striking figure. She's in terrifically good form at the moment. Charlie Deutsch in terrific form as well. I think their strike rate is, be is sort of better than 30%. So it was something for people to, you know, not everybody yeah. uh, discusses Ireland against Britain in the way that we do on a programme like this. A lot of people just like to get into horses uh, for uh, because they've got nice stories and big prices in this particular case, 33 to 1, and hopefully a few of them found it and will will have reinvested in some of the other races. I could have had 21 goes and still not got the winner. Uh, Venetia Williams, I'm sure, had other ideas, and she joins me now. Venetia, congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, how's Cloudy Glenn this morning? Absolutely fine, absolutely fine. Yeah, he's just gone out in the field, which um, all the horses do every day, but, uh, yeah, he got down hand roll and uh, very pleased with himself, as we are. He's an interesting customer, isn't he, this horse? Uh, and you clearly really got to the bottom of him now. What, what's been the secret? Age. <laughs> <laughs> On his part, I presume. <laughs> yes, not referring to anything, any horse or jockey or trainer, but um, uh, probably that has helped. He's, um, he's been a quirky horse. Um, 
when he first came, um, I have to say that Hugh Nugent um, did an amazing job. Um, he used to ride him uh, the whole time. Um, the horse used to bolt off in any, any unknown direction um, with no warning. And uh, Hugh used to r ride him on the gallops, and as soon as he'd pulled up at the top of the gallop, having finished his work, he'd get off. He had a lead rein strapped around, around his waist, and he'd lead him back. Um, and it was the safest way to do it. And I have to say, we've only stopped doing that um, uh, a, a year ago um, at the ripe old age that he is now. So, um, uh, yeah, you, you wouldn't know what he'd do, but um, I think, I think we've, we've got a mature horse now. And in your head, did you always think, well, if I'm going to strike, I'm going to have to do it first time out off a break? Uh, not necessarily. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I put him in the race thinking that... Um, uh, at least with his mark of 140 and having been second in the Kimbia, you know, he would get in the race. And uh, we gave him a, a wind operation, not that it necessarily seemed an, uh, an obvious thing to do. We, we weren't able to do the, the normal um, overground scope because uh, he wouldn't let the vet, vet anywhere near him with the scope. Um, so, so it was just done hoping it, it might help. Um, so he had the cautery. Um, but, you know, he was in very good form. Um, he, he'd done some, you know, really exciting work, which, yeah, other horses do and don't always go and, go and win a lab book off it. But, um, yeah, I, I, was, I was very encouraged with what I'd seen and uh, um, had a chat with um, uh, Mick Meager, um, late Mr. Hemmings, his racing manager, on, 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 on the Wednesday, actually, and uh, um, he, he was happy for us to, um, to, to let him uh, run and carry the same colours. Uh, how much more special did it make it that you were doing this for, for for Trevor's memory? Oh, it's hard to put that into words. You know, particularly as we'd all been up in Lancashire on Thursday for his uh, memorial service, and you know, a, a wonderful, fitting tribute it was. Um, you know, but it was um, hugely well attended, as you can imagine. You know, so of course, you know, he was very fresh in in everybody's minds, and um, you know, to to be there with um, Catherine Rivett and, and a large number of her family and his family to um, to be there, you know, with obviously Cloth Cap as well, having won the race before. Uh, no, you, you couldn't have written the script. What was he like to train for? Wonderful. I mean, you know, you could, couldn't wish for, for a, um, a lovely, a more understanding, more pa patient owner. And obviously, you know, he was blessed of being in a position to have a number of horses in training. Um, but a, a large number of them he bred, including um, this horse. And, uh, you know, he, he was he un understood how, how one had to be patient. He understood, you know, how how, how it all worked. And um, and he was so much fun as well. Venetia, if there was one race that he he loved even more than, than this one, and he won this one several times with with many clouds and Travolgan and cloth cap and, and now your horse. It is, of course, the, the Grand National. Is that the next obvious staging post for Cloudy Glen? Uh, I wouldn't say ne the next obvious. Um, because, you know, it's a long way off. And, um, you know, we're hopefully we can have some action in between. But, um, yeah, we haven't discussed the next plan. But, uh, I mean, it obviously has to be considered. But um, it's... Uh, it, it, it's a lot further, lot further down the road. Uh, the most impressive performance yesterday, however, went to Ahoy Senor, ridden by Derek Fox for Lucinda Russell, the Grand National winning combination with one for Arthur a few years ago, of course. But Peter Scudamore, Lucinda's partner, saying that this is the best horse he's ever had anything to do with. Now, you go back through wow. his time with Fred Winter, David Nicholson, Martin Pipe, Nigel Twiston Davis, and of course the horses that he's been involved with, with Lucinda, Brindisi Breeze, and, and one for Arthur. That is a that is a serious yeah. back catalogue yeah. well, to compare I was, this horse against. I was doing exactly, and, and here he is. Look at you know, talk about winning by a street. So I was I was just scribbling down a few horse names, just seeing him. Yeah, absolutely emphatic here. Yeah, I I thought that um, in terms of the undercard at Newbury, it might well be, and we'll come on to it in a second, the, the victory of Dan Skelton's filly might be the, the highlight of the day. But this, 
uh, was the highlight for me and the John Frankham, they, they're great too. I think you on Racing TV, you, you're great with your alliteration, Nick. Rout, romp, riot uh, was, uh, was your reaction to that. And that absolutely summed it up. It was an extraordinary uh, performance. Quite novicey to start with as well. I was writing on my notepad, if this horse gets beaten, uh, the first thing we'll say is a promising performance, but a little bit novicey on occasions. But as the race went on, he got better and better. And I think that fourth last fence at Newbury is now about my favourite fence uh, to, to watch these horses. Yes. The way, when they're good over that, they're absolutely magnificent. And he was magnificent all the way round uh, in that race. Um, and um, obviously looked at the water jump and thought, oh, what's yeah. that? But, a, but uh, absolutely terrific. And a great name, Ahoy Senor. People will really latch onto that. No one's going to forget him in a hurry. Certainly not with performances like that. Lucinda's with us now. Lucinda, good morning. Good morning. And I guess after, after Carlisle, where he'd flashed his talent, but it, it all went awry, yesterday meant an awful lot to you and your whole team. Yes, it did. I mean, um, Skew saying that he's one of the best he's ever dealt with. That's not the first time I'd heard that. He, he watches them up the gallops and he said the same thing going up the gallops as well. So... Um, and the responsibility that we now have to keep the horse in the right shape and, and to keep him going, keep him uh, sound and everything is immense. But my goodness, it was just a fantastic day. Um, you're right. He was a bit novicey. I think Derek said afterwards, you know, he's just very clever and he hadn't seen a, um, a water jump before. So he, he just had to work it out for himself. But I don't think he'd be making that mistake again. I mean, Skew was talking about the enthusiasm that this horse shows at home and the enthusiasm that he does that he shows for every every facet of of life is, is he a, is he a hard horse to train or not um he's awesome in the way that he's got very long stride and he powers up the gallop so that's really good um but he's actually a very straightforward horse you know jamie was dealing with him yesterday and said that unlike brindisi breeze who had his quirks and even arthur um he's such a strong horse arthur that he would get himself into trouble sometimes Oh, Senor is not like that. He's very powerful and he's got a long stride, but he's not a horse that you have to worry about, really. It's, it's quite a nice situation to be in. I think the dog agrees with you, Lucinda. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's barking at the turning in, and I tried shutting the door. I could shut I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we, any, any dog owners know who the, know who, know who the boss is. Um, the most important thing is, is it Hoy Senor well this morning? He is, he is. Um, we got back from Newbury. He got back about nine o'clock as well. And uh, I fed him this morning at six o'clock and he ate everything and, and was eating again. And so, yeah, I know he's very bright. He's It's a bit frosty here this morning. It's a bit snowy. So he'll go out in the woodchip paddock for a while. But uh, he's absolutely perfect. And the obvious next step for him, if you just sort of look through the pattern, is that grade one Corto star Felton novices chase at Kempton. We had a bit of debate about it yesterday on the show. Uh, What's your inclination to go there or, or otherwise? I don't know. I spoke to Lydia yesterday and that was my sort of first thing. But um, we're, we're really lucky. We've got a super guy called Paul McIver and Skew obviously has got lots of experience. And we'll, we'll have a look at all the options really because it's not really about the next target. It's about the target after that and how we get there. And, um, you know, obviously we'd love him to go to Cheltenham. So whether it's for the brand advisory or not, I don't know. But we'll see. And I think the important thing is how we get into that next race. So... Probably could be Kempton, might be somewhere else. Could, could is he the sort of horse you think that could take two or three, three or four races between now and and the spring festivals, or are you going to keep him fairly quiet? I mean, I'm, I'm sure he could take it, but I think I would much rather just have one one more run before the, any festivals. I mean, that's the that's the way that we've done it before. Let let them fill up and let them mature and stuff. And you know, it's it's always going to be difficult with him because he's he's relatively light, lightly raced and has. A lack of experience so um i'm sorry about those dogs <laughs> <laughs> they're all they're all getting they're all getting involved now it's just terrible anyway the dogs are barking so um yeah no he's uh we'll, we'll just look after him and make sure that we get him to the to the aim in the in the right condition lucinda thanks so much i'll let you let the dogs out okay thanks bye-bye Let's talk about the feature race on Friday, which was the long distance hurdle. Great expectations on Paisley Park with the cheek pieces on the first time. And he almost ran upside down. He almost traveled too well on a strong pace. And it, it rather left the way forward for Thomas Darby to come through and uh, pick up the pieces. He did more than that, though. He went away to score yeah. well. But at this point, it looked scarcely likely as Paisley Park swung away on the front end. And Thomas Darby was starting to look um, 
uh, one of the work less to, likely work winners. Work to do, work yeah. to do on the blind side, uh, running a, a, another uh, really nice uh, race indeed. So, you know, I, I think cheek pieces and you were thinking uh, he hadn't run, in my, my opinion anyway, too badly at Weatherbeam. Perhaps this is now going to spark him into the old Paisley, but um, although, yeah, not, not quite as clever as he might have been at that one. They went, uh, too, they that, went too fast, Yeah, I think. and uh, Emma Lavelle talked about the tactics afterwards. It's a, it was a change of tactics, and they'll, they'll probably uh, change again for the future, talking about going to the long walk hurdle. Uh, it's, it's another of those scenarios where, at the moment, he's not, the performances aren't really telling them, that, you know, and, and at that point you thought, uh, maybe, but look at look at Thomas Darby just behind in the Waitley colours, uh, and now uh, the writing's really on the wall now, isn't it? And this horse is going to uh, really uh, stamp his authority on the race and uh, go on to a comfortable success. Trainer Ollie Murphy's on the line now. Ollie, hi. Morning, Nick. Uh, we saw how much this meant to, to Graham Waitley, uh, celebrating wildly in the winners' enclosure. What did it mean to you? Yeah, it was uh, it was a great day. Um, obviously, a horse I've I've stood by for for the last few years, and I think I said in the day, uh, send the horse has, has let me down is probably uh, uh, the wrong way to put it. But he probably hasn't delivered on the big stage like I'd have liked him to in the last few years. And uh, yeah, it was just great to see him win a good race. Okay, so now you, you you I guess you think you know what you've got. How much of a difference do you think that tongue time made to him? Yeah, I don't know what got in my head, but uh, three days before, I, I said to my assistant, Jared Tumblety, that would chuck a tongue toe on him. He's obviously got a bit of an ungainly hate carriage, and he's been called a few names in the past, but I actually don't think he is an ungenuine horse. Um, but he's had quite severe wind operations now through his career, and maybe it did help him that little bit, and he obviously saw his, his trip out very well. And does the rest of the season just map itself out for him now? I'd say it probably does. We'll, we'll, we'll have a look at Asker at Christmas, and... Uh, I'd imagine when you've got a horse of his calibre now that you want to be kind of taking on the big boys for the rest of the year and we'll have a look at, at Cheltenham then after. So, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a very, very good horse in his day, Nick. And uh, listen, I just want to see him go and back this one up the next day. He's, he, he's a horse who's going to run very well, like he did in Aintree at the back end of last year. And I actually really, really fancied him at Weatherby. And, yeah, he, he, he didn't really turn up that day. Sean thought the ground was very tacky and uh, used that as an excuse. But, um, yeah, he, he, he was good at... Um, Newbury and uh, everything went everything went his way and uh, yeah he won with plenty of authority. Your horses are all running well. You've had a terrific season and and it's a measure of that when the good horses come out and shine like he has and like brewing up a storm has. Where are we likely to see him next? The plan will be to go for the Rukeel on uh, New Year's Day. Um, a spanner was thrown into the works actually when when Lingfield produced all these spectacular races which uh, which they have for the middle of January there's a there's a lovely hundred thousand pound two and a half mile hurdle there as well so whether we'd fit the real keel in and and that race I'm not sure whether we went straight to, to Lingfield or, or, or did both um, but he's in very good form when he's good he's he's very good he's actually very similar to, to Thomas Darby kind of everything has to go right for him and uh, yeah he was he was good in entry especially giving six pounds some good horses that day he he, he trounced them and uh, hopefully he can go and back that up either at Cheltenham or, or Lingfield yeah. You talk about Nicky Henderson and, and his record at the Cheltenham Festival I mean it's easy enough to forget that Epatant was a champion hurdle winner but she came back yesterday and dead heated in the fighting fifth hurdle running a blizzard at Newcastle and dead heated with the remarkable not so sleepy who'd played his own rather strange part in the fighting fifth hurdle of last year. Yeah, uh, absolutely with uh, with Silver Streak. Yeah. Um, so not so sleepy uh, misbehaving in inverted commas um, uh, last year coming um, coming out and then the loose horse taking out Silver Streak. So uh, yeah, they were they were big players returning everything uh, going very smoothly and we get down into the closing stages of that race uh, with Epitont there with So Royal there uh, with Silver Silver Streak there and with Not So Sleepy there and uh, uh, Mon Morale is the one disappointment which has, uh, has dropped off them and that the writing was very much on the wall from quite early on. Are you about to say something about Mon Morale? No, I was just going to say I, I wasn't that disappointed because I never really thought of him as that type of horse, right. that sort of champion hurdly type horse. I thought well here's a, here's a chaser. Right. Here's a novice chaser and I wonder whether they might abort mission and go that, that yeah. route. Well, that's, you know, we were talking about Paul Nichols having to uh, look at all the horses uh, uh, that have run this uh, this uh, weekend and looking at the various plans. So obviously he'll be exploring various possibilities. But the, getting into the closing stages of the of the fighting fifth, 
uh, all the four principals were involved. A really terrific race. Uh, and uh, and uh, there is the, the ultimate photo, which... Now, there was a bit of confusion yeah. surrounding this because the, the, the TV camera angle at Newcastle is not bang square on the line. Uh, but that doesn't mean the photo finish camera is not where it should be. Well, and, obviously, and it, it is where it, it should be. But I think, that, that if anything, uh, Not So Sleepy definitely has not lost this race on the photo finish. Mm. When they passed the post on the slightly deceptive TV angle, it looked as though Epitom was a. Did was you think? I way. thought the initial feeling was. I, I felt initially Not So Sleepy, then the slow mo passed the line, definitely Epitom, uh, and then ultimately the dead heat. And it became apparent it was going to be a dead heat because it was taking some time. And if Epitom was just uh, just um, suffered a little bit, was slightly impeded at a crucial moment in the in the closing stages. So I think uh, uh, those that supported that horse were thinking that that probably made that millimetre of difference. But the, the other thing that's definitely just talking about no, um, uh, not so sleepy. Um, uh, what, a, what a tremendous horse, by the way, he is. Well, so he's a, a very decent performer on the flat. Uh -huh. He's a very decent performer over hurdles. He he's won the D stakes yeah. in about 1952. He's, he's superbly handled for Lady Blythe by, uh, by Huey Morrison. Homebred as well. Uh, and, and the fact is, at the last, he'd got So Royal on one side, which is a, a top notcher. He'd got a former champion on the other side. And was he going to give in? No, he was not. I thought it was a really uh, nice performance. One of two really nice performances. Uh, uh, advertised. I, I, I don't know who's actually taking the photograph in the Racing Post today, but there is a wonderful photograph in the Racing Post today, which has been used brilliantly across uh, two pages of the snow coming down. And uh, I can't remember whether it was the Fighting Fifth or the rehearsal chase. That, uh, but it was a lovely, uh, a lovely photo. Could easily be a Christmas card next yeah. year. And um, that victory for I write in the um, in the rehearsal chase was a, a really nice performance. You know, Harriet Graham, who trains a relatively small number of horses. She was runner-up in the Labrooks Trophy last year. They've decided to stay closer to home uh, this time around, uh, even though it's two and a half hours from where she trains uh, to get to, to Newcastle, and the weather obviously bad for that particular uh, journey. But I, I, I thought it was uh, uh, Callum Bewley back on board. Uh, when this horse gets into a rhythm, he is absolutely electric, and it uh, looked as though the Nigel Twiston Davis uh, contender, which I think you quite liked the look of, didn't Good you? Boy, Bobby. Yeah, yeah beforehand. Uh, might just come down and do I right in the closing stages, but they kept all the way to the line. I don't think they're going to be wanting to stay, or they should be staying, too close to home in the future. Obviously, they would consider close to home the Scottish Grand National probably um, next uh, spring. They finished down the field in that last year. I just think that he's an entry, a potential entry Grand National uh, I write, uh, yeah. runner. I write, and I'd love to see him in that race. And I know Harriet, who's the friend of the program, friend of the of the network as well as the clerk of the course at Hamilton. Uh, she will um, she she will have plenty of time to think about that. It, plenty of time before the entries have to be made for the Grand National. But I bet that comes up after that performance. That comes up on her uh, radar. I thought it was a really nice performance. And as I said at the at the start, great to see a couple of uh, uh, important results for the all-important British uh, Northern Circuit of Jump Racing with uh, this horse I write and with Ahoy Senor at, uh, at Newbury. Welcome back. I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce my next guest of the luck on Sunday Studio. Um, his life and career in racing has been an extraordinary one. Growing up in a mining family just outside Barnsley, he applied for his first job right out of the newspaper at a very tender age to go and work for a permit holder miles away from home. And there began a, a, a story and a career of multiple twists and turns, which we will talk about in a few moments time. Ultimately, he has now trained 850 odd winners. He is closing in on his first ever century in a calendar year, and he's been champion all-weather trainer no fewer than five times. He is, of course, Mick Appleby. Mick, great to have you with us. Good morning. It's been um, it's been quite a journey, hasn't it? It does. Yes. Yeah. Seems a very long journey. But it's an awful lot crammed into a to a relatively short space of time. Where did the where did the interest in horses first start? Was there an interest in horses when? Right, originally, originally started with my granddad. He was well into his racing, and I used to go racing with him to the Doncaster, or our sort of local track, at the time. Um, and like when I left school, I, I was sort of 
tying in with, with seven stone and he said, oh, why didn't you go and be a jockey? Uh, I'd never sat on a horse or even touched an horse at that time. Did that, did that appeal to you? Did you think, oh, come on, Grandad, you're, you're mad? Or, or did you think, oh, yeah, all right. I thought, yeah, why not? Give it a go. <laughs> what else am I going to do? <laughs> what was life like for you then? Because you, you grew up sort of late 70s, early 80s. It was a, a tough time. You're from a, a mining village. Was it as, was it as, as hard as, as I would imagine it to have been? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was hard, hard life there. Um, I mean, it's, it's changed a lot there now. Uh, we used to get the coal delivered on, on the side of the road. You had to go and get the coal in with the wheelbarrows. Um, it was a good life there, a good fun, a lot of friends. Um, but yeah, I mean, it uh, wasn't a bad upbringing at all. So it was, it was good in the sense that it was strong family, strong community. You you felt you felt a, a sense of self and a, a sense of your roots. Yeah, exactly. And, and I had to work for everything. Like um, I did two paper rounds. I, had a, um, I used to do um, glass collecting at one of the local pubs at night. So I had to sort of work for your work for your money. Tell me a little bit about your your family. Yeah. So me um, sadly, my father passed away this year. Um, he was living in Benidorm at the time. Um, he moved to Spain oh, about 20 years ago to a beef. He had a bar there, so we used to have some free holidays in a beef. <laughs> um, but yeah, he sadly passed away this year. Uh, then my mum, she still lives up in Yorkshire, and um, I've got two sisters and a brother, and they all still live there as well. And do they all follow what you've done very closely? Are you still very close to them all? Yeah, still close to them all, yeah. Yeah, so they all sort of follow them and they come down and see us quite regular and go to the races. So you apply for a, a job out of nowhere at, at, on your granddad's suggestion at, what, 16? Yeah, I was, uh, well, I left school at 15. I was 15. Um, I just got the horse announced, looked for other jobs and uh, they were permit holder looking for a working pupil, Mrs Pilkington, at Stowe on the World. I just rang her up, says, what experience you got? I said, none. She said, that'll do, come down. <laughs> <laughs> and she must have known she'd have someone who was keen and would work hard yeah. and would basically do anything. Yes, yeah. And that was you? Yeah, I mean, it, it was hard to start with. Um, I mean, I learned to ride on an old horse called Willie Wumpkins. Really? Yes. He won the Joe Cole, I think, three times. Yeah. So he was my schoolmaster. Not a bad schoolmaster, no. multiple children. <laughs> yeah, what was yes, he like yeah. as a schoolmaster? I, I used to fall off him every day. I used to be chasing around the field <laughs> every day. But no, yeah, I mean, he, he learned me to ride. He learned me how to stay on. Um, no, well, good grounding. What was Mrs Pilkington like? Very tough. Very tough. Uh, I mean, he was good grounding, though. I mean, she was, she was very tough. Um, Can you paint a picture of her for me? I'm trying to imagine her in my mind and what she was like. A little old woman with a big roar. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you quite terrified of her? Yes, very. <laughs> oh yeah, if, you, if you're one minute late in the morning, you knew about it. What did you learn from her? Are there still things to this day that you would have learned from, from all the way back then? Um, well, I, I mainly just learned to ride there. Uh, I mean, like she taught me all, taught me all the sort of groundwork and sort of grooming horses and everything like that, mucking out. Uh, I mean, she only had, I mean, she, she was a small outfit. She bred a few herself and she had about 10 horses there. So that's where, it, that's where it started. At what point did you actually entertain the idea that you could be a jockey, that you could get a license and you could do this, that you were any good? Um, well, I never probably did think that, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, to be fair, once I'd sort of got into the racing, I never really wanted to ride. I never wanted to be a jockey, really. I was always more interested in the training side. Why was that? I don't know, it just appealed to me more. Um, I don't like falling off and breaking bones. <laughs> but you put yourself through it. You put yourself through, <laughs> yes. the, through the ringer, really, didn't you, yeah. in, terms of, in terms of a riding career? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. I had a good master in Johnny Manners. Now, I, <laughs> I knew John Manners a little bit, and, yes. um, and you were there with, with some some characters, Gary Brown being, yes. being one of them. Yeah. Um, tell, me, tell me about life with John Manners, who was one of the most colourful 
permit holders come train as there, <laughs> there ever was. Oh yeah, it was certainly entertaining. And no day, no day was the same. Um, I remember, I originally got the job with him. He was advertising for a conditional jockey. I just literally got my license out with Basil Richmond because mm -hmm. we had a horse there that one of the owners wanted me to ride. So I got my license and then Johnny was advertising for a conditional jockey. So I rang him up about the job. Um, he said, I'll oh, come down and see me. And then, and then um, I saw in the paper he'd got one um, in the conditional jockey's race at Nottingham and they had the jump race in there. Yeah. So I just rang him up and said, um, have you got a jockey for that horse? And he said, no, you can ride it, lad. He says, if you win on it, the job's yours. And I went and won on it. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back on it, was that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I don't know. I think it was a good thing. I had some good times there. Well, you say no two days were alike. Was it, as, was it as mad as I imagine it to have been? I mean, he was known as Mad Manners, oh, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was mad as that. But, it, but to be fair to him, he was very good horses and very good. I used to go to the sales room at Ascot Sales. He never ever used to go down the stables looking at horses. He'd just sit in the ring, <laughs> see one lead, like the look of him, buy it. <laughs> and pay a grand for it yeah, or whatever. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. But no, I mean, it was entertaining there. I mean, like, you never knew what horses were going to be in what stable in the mornings. Because <laughs> he used to go out sort of at midnight, ride, ride around his farm in pitch black. And then let all the horses out of the stables, you'd find them everywhere in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> did it did it sort of make you think differently about actually what you could do with horses? I mean, obviously you wouldn't use it as a template. No. <laughs> You're not gonna let all your lovely, lovely no. horses out of your stables and then get yeah. them in the next morning. But did it make you think differently just about actually what you really need to do? Yeah, I think I, I think the Difference with these horses were very tough. There, was, there wasn't molly coddled, um, and there were, his horses were, they had to be tough to survive there. Uh, I mean, he, he was very good with the horses, but like I say, he he, he was hard on them probably. But um, I said they had a good ground in there. And so you're in your what in your early twenties, early mid twenties at the time. Yeah, I'd be, yeah, I think I went there when I was twenty four. And were they good times? Do, yeah, you, do you look back on that fondly, that period? Yeah, yeah, it was a very good time in my life. Yeah, I mean, we just used to have really good fun. I mean, you never looked at it as a job. Um, it was just good fun, and good times. And I suppose there comes a point where you think, right, I need the next notch up here. I need to, I need to push on. Mm. I need to get to yes. the, next, the next place. Where was the next, where was the next place? What was the next step? So from from John, I mean, obviously I rode I rode for a few seasons and rode a few winners there, um, and then I, I was starting to struggle a bit with my weight. So I thought, well, I'll move on to the next stage now and go and try and get a, a lad's job in a sort of bigger yard. So then I moved on to Roger Curtis in Lambourne, and then started training yourself. Yeah, I, mo I moved there and I started training a few point pointers. And did you do it well? Did you think you were doing it? No. Doing it? <laughs> no. Um, I think I was. I was struggling. I mean, I I was struggling a bit at the time with what horses I had. I mean, it wasn't very good. I had a really a nice horse called Daringly, which um, I bought off Johnny actually. Um, I, I was hoping he was going to give it to me. It had broken down, and he said, "No, no, you've got to give me two hundred quid for it." <laughs> See, he made he's you pay a, him two hundred quid. He said, "Give me two hundred quid, or I'm shooting it." <laughs> so, so, so you saved daringly, yeah, and won a few races with him. Yeah, I won a few races with him. Yeah, yeah. So, he, um, so I ran him under Roger Curtis, the white lad there. So I took him to Rogers and I trained him myself in my own time. And what was the point where you sort of wanted out of the game? Altogether, because you you left, didn't you? Left, yeah, did, you left yeah, the sport yeah, altogether, yeah. and you you weren't in a good place with your mental health. Yeah, no, I had a bit of a breakdown. Tried to take me on life, um, and that's why I sort of moved moved over to Ibiza. Um, so that it was sort of winter time, so I was quiet in Ibiza that time of year. I worked in the bar with my dad, um, and then I was I was going to stay there. I had ne never had any intention of coming back to England. I'm going to stay there and um, stay in the bars. 
Had you um, had you always struggled with your with your mental health? Um, not really, not really. Um, it was just sort of really bad time in my life. Just a, a period of really yeah, deep yeah. unhappiness. Yeah, and I couldn't see no way out of it. And I guess leaving racing meant a certain amount of weight taken off your shoulders in that respect. Did you feel quite stifled by the sport at that time? Yes, I think I did. Um, yeah, I, felt, I don't know, I just felt like there was no one there for me at the time. And like racing had sort of basically turned its back on me, the people I was working for at the time. Because you were, you were a senior um, head man at Andrew Baldings at the, yeah, at the, at the time. Yes, yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah. Which obviously yeah. a different sort of environment from the one that you'd been used to because it's big and... Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, had, um, I had a good time there. But I think things just sort of got on top of me and a few things had happened and... They just all all built up, and I, I didn't really have anybody to talk to there at the time. And because that has that informed the way you do things now, running a big yard of a lot of horses and a good sized staff. Have your own experiences told you a little bit about how you want the atmosphere to be, your sort of family environment? Yeah, I think. I mean, I'd like to think that any of my staff, if they've got a problem. And the feeling uh, sort of down that they can come and talk to me. I'm always there. And I mean, try and be fair with them and look after them. I mean, like to try and think we're like just one big family. And so many of us who know you are, you know, are so grateful that at that pivotal moment when you did try and take your own life, that somebody did look out for you and somebody, somebody found you. Yes, yeah, exactly, yes, yes. Yeah, I did have a few good friends there. And they sort of found me and got me off to hospital and I came down the, around the next morning. Didn't know if I were alive or not. <laughs> what did you feel that next morning? Uh, felt like shit. <laughs> um, I don't really know. I mean, I thought, oh, what have I done? And I mean, I think I was relieved that I was still alive. But then um, I got on the phone to my father and so I told him what had happened and he came over and wished me off to Ibiza. Tell me a little bit about going to Ibiza with your, with your dad. Yeah, well, quite a good time actually. <laughs> <laughs> was it just what you needed at the time? Yes, it was, yeah. And I think like that time of year in Ibiza, it's not like all the nightlife is in the summer. So we're pretty quiet. Um, but I got, Met a few friends out there and had a good time. Was it a good opportunity to reconnect with your dad as well? It was, yeah, because sort of, we had drifted apart a fair bit. Because I mean, my, my parents, they split it when I was sort of six year old. So, and <coughs> my father had moved over there, so we had drifted apart. 